morning to Mark chapter 7, verse 1 through 23. Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. And the title of this morning's message is Inside Out. Inside Out. Mark chapter 7, verse 1 through 23. Inside Out. I'd like to share before I begin a message, the message this morning is that I always am touched when the Holy Spirit moves in our services. And um, I know that the Lord uses specific people greatly. Here's what I want to avoid. I want to avoid the thinking that says that God can only use that person in that gift. That's what I want to avoid. God can continue to freely use anyone that he chooses. But here's the deal. I want you to feel that when you come in through that door, that should the Holy Spirit prompt you to be used in the spiritual gifts, if you have a question, ask an usher. They can help you out to how we best use our spiritual gifts within, within the service of the Lord. And the reason that I'm saying that today, and, and I'm happy that there was a, a, a message in tongues and interpretation in tongues this morning is because Every once in a while, this doesn't happen to me often, but every once in a while, I sensed that that was coming. I really felt that that was coming. And, uh, and then last week, uh, I felt that the Lord wanted to speak a message to the church. Um, I didn't know what it was. I just kind of felt that the Lord wanted to speak that message. And I felt that somebody f- might have felt embarrassed to use the spiritual gifts. And so they stood shut. And so... If, if God is using you, if God is calling you into that area, l- let's move into that area. Now, now we're not running a, a clown town church. <laughs> There's an order to which these things go. But if God uses you in a gift of tongues and an interpretation of tongues, come on now. We, we need to hear that prophetic voice speaking to the church. And so we need you to believe that every time you walk into the doors of the church, it could be you that God wants to speak through, and that's okay. And again, like I said, there's an order to which these things are done. We don't give any messages in tongues while we're preaching a sermon. Why? Because we believe God is speaking. We believe God is speaking. And so God can't be speaking in two places at once, in, in one place. He's not going to be a distraction to himself. And so what, what we're doing is we're believing, and we're going to put this out next week. Again, we have an outline of how spiritual gifts work at, here at Risen King because we want you. We're a Pentecostal church. I'm not hiding that. And we want the spiritual gifts to flow in this place. Amen? That being said, Mark chapter 7, verse 1 through 23. Just kind of leave that open. Park yourself there a little bit. You can put your phone to the side, your Bible to the side. So. Have you ever noticed when it comes to certain things, we really like rules and laws. We almost feel like without rules and laws, we're a little bit lost, right? So I can't be Breddy Crocker if I don't have the rules of how to bake the cake or how to use the icing. I can't give medicine to my child unless I have the rules that go along with it so that I understand how to appropriately use it. The problem is when you deal with people 
Rules can oftentimes become a substitute for thought. Rules can become a substitute for thought. I'll give you an example. In Christian churches, specifically within Pentecostal evangelical churches for the longest time, where's Joe? Joe, Joe just showed me a book, an old school book from, his, from, from, from a church in the 1990s that, that, that he was a part of in the 90s. And every woman in that church, you, you, you know those sailor dresses, right? They're blue, and then they kind of have that little white handkerchief that's somehow attached to the dress. It's hideous. If you have it, throw it away. I'm just, I'm just giving you fashion tips. We had this thought pattern in the church for the longest time that the only way that a woman could present herself as holy to the Lord is if she wore a dress all the way down to her knees. Now, the problem is, is that somebody wrote that rule somewhere in, in, in between because they couldn't trust the people of God to actually think for themselves. And they couldn't just simply say to the people of God, hey, when you're a believer, we believe in modesty, in nothing that distracts from the gospel. And so because we couldn't trust the people with that truth, we said, no way, no how, it's totally close to you. And we've done the same thing with a lot of things. We've done the same thing with alcohol, too. We can't trust the believer to make a wise choice to live in moderation. So we say, no way, no how. Can't do it. We can't trust the believer to listen to secular music. So we say, instead of you being able to filter what's good, what's evil, what's bad, what is the words of this song that you're receiving into your body, then we say, no way, no how. Can't do it. And we have a set of rules because we negate thought. We don't trust people to think for themselves. That's why I don't feel that I'm called to be the police of the church. I feel that I'm called to be the person that pokes your mind and gets you to think through things. When we negate thought, it is a way that we bypass character. And so we have rules where everybody follows something externally, but nobody has the interior character within themselves to actually be able to make thoughtful choices. And so we just live by rules. See, that's the problem with the Pharisees. And it's sometimes our problem too. We create rules that govern behavior. But then we create ways to leak around the edges of those rules to enable our flesh. So today Jesus turns the table on external rules. I have a question. How do you test your spiritual health? That's going to say a lot about the rules that you follow. And then the other thing that's going to determine a lot about the rules that you follow is how do you judge other people's spiritual health? See, in Jesus' days, the Pharisees and the scribes test theirs and other spiritual health by how closely they followed the ritual law of Moses, as well as the traditions that were handed down that were supposed to help you follow the law. They traveled all the way out to Galilee because they wanted to, to meet this new teacher, to put him to the test. And they stood at the back of the crowd with their arms crossed, waiting until Jesus did something wrong. And they only had to wait until lunch, you know? You don't have to wait very long for Jesus to tick you off a little bit with some of the things that he says. So pick it up in verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus. And some, and to, and to, and some saw, 
and some of his disciples saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is unwashed. Verse 3 continues. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the traditions of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. How many of you have ever heard the term cleanliness is next to godliness? That's a load of garbage. It's not true. Tell that to someone in Africa and in Haiti who loves the Lord with all their heart and can't find clean water to wash themselves. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash their hands. And they observe many other traditions such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So listen to this. Apparently the Pharisees in the marketplace would immerse their hands in water, then have pure water poured over them from a purified vessel. So get this. I'm cleaning my hands. Not only am I cleaning my hands in water, there needs to be a purified vessel that then needs to come and needs to pour over my hands. See, they were known for their elaborate rituals of hand washing, anything to be ceremonially clean. So as we're going to see, their insistence on ceremonial cleanliness overlooked the spiritual uncleanliness within them. Verse 5 continues on. It says, so the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? And the Jews had a practice, right, of ritually washing their hands before they ate. It only took a palmful of water, but it was to be sure that they would not be ritually defiled by anything that they ate. It wasn't from the Bible, but it had come, become the common ritual among the religious Jews. And the disciples didn't do it. And so they confront Jesus. Hey, I want to know why your disciples don't live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating food with their nasty, icky, gross hands. And Jesus seems to be fed up with their attacks. And so Jesus bites back. See, we, we think it's crazy that the Pharisees would pick at Jesus for not following something exactly how they wanted it done. But, but don't we do the same thing sometimes? What about those who are incensed if you read any other version of the Bible than the one that they like? What about those who get upset and say that because you're a Democrat or a Republican that, uh, that you can't be a Christian? Because there are folks that believe that. We have ideas. Don't we often put ritual above relationships? That's the problem of the Pharisees. They put ritual over relationships. See, the hand washing that the Pharisees were concerned about had nothing to do with disease. It had nothing to do with disease. It was about being ceremonially clean. You see, the Old Testament law described many different ways that a person could become ceremonially unclean. Touching a dead body, giving birth, having mold in your house. If any of these things happened to you, you were barred from temple worship until you had been declared clean once again. There were rituals and time periods for becoming clean once you had become unclean. See, the leaders of the people had rituals. And they wrote ones down to help people avoid ritual defilement. And after many generations of practice, these traditions were seen to be as much God's law as the things that Moses wrote down. The ritual hand washing before the meal was one of these traditions. We, we do that by seeing cultural things and not being able to let them go. So we had several revolutions in the Christian church. 
the fight from hymns to modernity. The fight of whether or not we're going to do life groups or Sunday school. The fact that not or whether or not God's time is 11 a.m. or if it isn't. I've even had people tell me before, hey, the way we order our worship service, the Lord needs to be pleased in it. We got to do it this way. I'm going to tell you something. There is nothing written in the Bible about how we've got to do this thing. We get to be creative in that process. And the problem is, is that we attach these traditions and we attribute them to the mouth of God. And they're not. These things can sound silly to to some of us too. I'm going to tell you something. Right? I think we're far enough removed that I could talk about this incident. Right? I'm I'm going to I'm going to help you out. We renovated this church, okay? We renovated this this church, this beautiful altar, probably about two or three years ago, and we were in the renovation process. And so we did something. We closed this back end off right here. There's something back there. We closed that off. We had a cross right in the middle. And so during the renovation process, we pulled the cross down. I thought I was going to have a revolution in the church. People got nuts over something stupid. I'm not saying that the cross, please don't, don't, don't interpret it as that. I'm saying the idea that it needs to be here in order for us to be a legit church. Because if we're realistic about our faith, it ain't the cross, it's the empty tomb. So if somebody wants to buy a gold empty tomb and we'll put that back there, I think that's representative of our faith. That's the whole, we, we, we put these foolish things and we say church has got to be this way. Christianity has got to be this way. If you don't do it this way, then you ain't doing it right. If you don't do it in my church, you ain't doing it right. Well, guess what? I'm going to tell you something. There's Methodists, Presbyterians, Reformed, even Catholics, all these sorts of people that believe in Jesus. And guess what? They're going to be saved too. I'm not saying all of them. Some people are the frozen chosen. But, but I'm going to tell you what. We got frozen chosen in our church too and in our denomination too. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with how someone lives their life out for Jesus. These sound silly, don't they? They're also dangerous because anything that we hide behind in order to not make ourselves vulnerable to God will always keep us from God. We're fooled into thinking that by following the tradition, we earn points. By following tradition, we earn points with God. Can I tell you what? I'm going to share with you something. If we left the church in the same condition that it was in when I arrived and just kept on the machines moving exactly how it was, guess what? We would have the same seven people up in here Sunday after Sunday. It doesn't work. And before long, the church would have died off. It would have closed its doors and it would have been over. We need to update. We need to move forward. We need to be strapped to doctrine, never to tradition. Strapped to the eternal truths of the word of God. Not to man-made things that will ruin, will destroy, will rob people of their joy. They won't even want to worship Jesus amongst our midst if we strap ourselves to traditions all the time. I'm not saying traditions are bad. There's traditions that are great. You probably have family traditions that are awesome. But what I'm saying is we got to be always Semper Gumby. Always flexible. Always flexible to reach people. See, God is interested in what goes on inside our hearts. Not with our hands being cleaned a certain way, 
Not with the tradition being done a certain way. Not if we have one worship leader or 20 worship leaders on a stage. God ain't interested in any of that stuff. There's no right way to do church. The only wrong way to do church is by worshiping a foreign God. By preaching a gospel other than what the scriptures say. So verse 6 continues on. He said, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. So how do we know the difference between the doctrines of man and the doctrines of God? There, there are plenty of doctrines floating out there that have been invented by men. See, the best and easy way to make sure is that it agrees with what's taught in Scripture. So one good test is this. You want to know how a doctrine is correct? One good test is this. If it was prophesied in the Old Testament, taught by Jesus, written about in the epistles, you got a three-legged stool. You want to get a fourth leg and make it even more stable, make sure that it's lived out in the book of Acts. That's how you get a doctrine. That's how you get a doctrine. You see, believe me, there's many things that God commands us to do. Not laws, but living out the character of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus said that he had but one command for us. Love one another. That one alone should keep us busy for the rest of our lives. Doesn't it? See, oddly, we, we fight and we squabble and we hurt each other over the smallest nuances of practice. All in clear violation of Jesus' one command to us. Verse 9 continues on. And he, said, and he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Verse 10. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother and anyone who curses... His father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father and mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corban. That is a gift devoted to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father and mother. Thus you nullify the word of God, but your tradition, but your tradition that you have handed down. By your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. See, the, the Pharisees created elaborate interpretations of God's law. They created loopholes that allowed them to escape the intent of God's laws. For instance, I'm going to share with you this idea of Corbin. Corbin is not a planet in Star Wars. <laughs> this is a real thing here. Corbin, which means either devoted to God or forbidden to do so. That's what the word Corbin means. See, the Pharisees said that if you devoted a gift to God, then it was forbidden to be used to help your parents, which was commanded by the law. You see, uh, uh, let, let me just, just share with you kind of the idea behind this. So I got a house. My parents need my help. I got a house somewhere. So what I did is I created a tax. This, is, this was a tax haven, that idea of Corbin. It was a, a, a total tax haven for the Pharisees and for these religious people. So they would say, hey, mom and dad, I can't help you. I declared my house to be a gift from the Lord. And so I can't help you out. You can't live in my house. I can't assist you. I declared my money in the bank to be Corbin, a gift from the Lord. It's set aside for the Lord. I don't got to use it for that. I just said that it was set aside. And so now I have a loophole in escape out of my commitment to follow the intent of God's law and the principle of the scriptures. 
See, some Christians are, are so meticulous that everyone needs to conform to their understanding, to their form of worship, that we miss the fact that we are the body of Christ, not the bodies of Christ. Whole denominations have sprung up over silly arguments over style and form and not real substance. But we like lifting our hands up and worship. But guess what? Not everybody is there. Some people are introverts. And they like just standing there and just receiving what God has for them. Guess what? It's okay. It's okay. Some people speak in tongues. Other people don't. It's okay. It's okay. Some people like hymns. Some people don't. It's okay. Some people like Sunday school. Some people like life group. It's okay. Those are matters of conscience. They're not matters that we need to be starting the, 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 first, uh, the first risen king church here, second risen king church down the street, third risen king church all up in the block because all of a sudden we have a dozen and one disagreements and we split the church five times over. That was called church multiplication back in the day. You wanted to plant a church, just split one. You become the pastor, you pastor the church down the street. You want to know how you got first Baptist church, second Baptist church, that's how it happened. People divide over silliness. They create rifts among each other over silliness, not even real substance. See, the issue here is over defilement. Look how Jesus actually gets the last word on them, verse 14. It says, again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him clean. I'm I'm just... I'm just referencing here. He's not talking about toilet usage. He's he's talking about what come out of your mouth. And after he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. And here's what Jesus says. He says, you see, this is, that's why I laugh every time we have scripture because everybody has this idea of Jesus having all the little kids next to him. But would you expect Jesus to say this to his disciples? Why are you so dull? And then we're sounding so dumb. Don't you, don't you get it? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside it can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. So Jesus is, uh, you, you know how folks have kosher meals? You can't have bacon. You can't have shrimps and crab and lobster. I feel bad for the Jewish people. They're missing out on a whole lot of good stuff. Jesus said, everything's good, guys. It doesn't matter. That's not, what, that's not what causes contamination in your heart. And he went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. And he defines this. Jesus defines this in verse 21. For from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery. Adultery is sleeping with a, a man that you don't got a ring to. He married to someone else. Sexual immorality is sleeping with a man or a woman or with someone that you have not committed to in a covenant marriage. Greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. 
You see, the Pharisees thought that if you look good on the outside, then you were good on the inside. Jesus is saying, really, it's the opposite. It's totally inside out. The effects of the sin nature being expressed in my thoughts, in my actions, that's what matters. It shows how sinful we truly are. You see, we love appearances. We're so impressed with people that seem to have it all together. All the money, all the fame, all the influence, all the intelligence, all the good looks. And we pattern our lives after that. As long as we appear to be a good Christian, then, then we are. Jesus says, hey, hey, that's not true. We've made industries out of this. We've got magazines that show you the picture of a man or a woman with 12, you know, 12-pack abs. You know what I mean? They make you look like they're thin. And really, somebody just has fully edited out the, the side of their stomach that, that, that doesn't look good. And same thing with the women. If you ever seen a woman, a, a model on a magazine cover, and you're like, oh, my God, I want to be just like her. I need to work on my beach body to get it just like No. <laughs> She's fake. She ain't even the real person. They've edited her to make it seem a certain way. Maybe she had some pimples. She, she's a pretty woman, but maybe she had some pimples. Maybe she had some cellulite. Maybe she has something going on, and, and they just got rid of it completely because guess what? We can't handle reality anymore. We prefer to show up in appearances and masks than to face the truth of where it's at. We're so impressed with people that seem to have it all together. Jesus is saying, don't be impressed by that, man. You can get fooled. So, so what's the answer? What's the answer? How do we address these issues? Number one, don't focus on outward appearance but on inward submission to the presence of God. The solution is something called heart religion. Heart religion. The solution to our religious mindset, it was the Puritans call heart religion. A faith that doesn't obey, just obey a list of rules, but a faith that has a heart that seeks God and his way out of love. In the mindset of the people that Jesus was talking to, the heart was just not the center of emotions. It was also the center of the will. It was the center of the thought processes. To love God with your whole heart was to love him with your entire being. Not only with my heart. Not only do I have a passion to worship Jesus when I'm here. But my intellect is also submitted to the will of God. Back to the issue with the hands. See, the Pharisees were always worried about being defiled by something unclean touching them. Or entering through their mouth. Jesus says, you can't be defiled by what goes in you. You're defiled by what comes out of you. That was a radical shift in belief. That the stuff that you do is worse than the stuff that's done to you. Hello? The stuff that you do is worse than the stuff that's done to you. And that's a hard word. Because it might actually be easier to control what goes on into your mouth than what comes out of it. It might be easier to stop eating pork than it is to stop judging our brothers and sisters. So how do we stop from being defiled from the inside out? How can we obey God and not be hypocrites like the Pharisees? Matthew 12, Jesus says this, verse 33. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Good people bring good things out of the good that is stored up in them. And evil people bring evil things out of the evil that is stored up in them. You see, if we see that evil things are coming out from our heart, we don't need to concentrate as much on the overflow as we do on the heart. To change metaphors a little bit. 
we don't have to concentrate as much on cleaning what comes out of the tap as much as we need to do purify ourselves. The good news is that we don't have to do it by ourselves. We have a God that specializes in heart change. Ezekiel prophesies about what God is about to do through his Holy Spirit. I love this. Ezekiel chapter 36, beginning in verse 26. Love, love, love this scripture. I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. When we trust in Jesus, God gives us a heart transplant. He takes out the heart that tries to weasel out of doing what's right while still looking right. And he replaces it with a heart that wants to do what's right. You've heard of obeying the letter of the law versus the spiritual spirit of the law. Have you ever heard of that? Obeying the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. God gives us the spirit of the law. And he works within our hearts to help us want to do God's will. And to convict our hearts when we don't do God's will. See, our role is to believe in Jesus. To ask for forgiveness and learn to walk in the spirit that he gives us. You might say, I've given my life to Jesus. And there's still guck coming out of the tap of my life. There's still bad fruit on the tree. So what's up with that, pastor? See, God gives us a new heart. He gives us his spirit. But we need to partner with him in the renewing work in our life. Let me just share this with you. And if you don't, this is probably a trademark of all my messages. If you don't remember anything else, remember saying, we need to till the soil of the soul so that the Holy Spirit can grow good fruit on it. I'm going to repeat that again. We need to till, you and I need to till the soil of our own soul so that the spirit can grow good fruit on it. So as opposed to the list of nasty things that Jesus says comes out of our evil hearts, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. One of the main things, one of the main ways that we can till our soul and partner with what the Spirit has done is through the renewing or the changing of our mindsets. I'm going to ask our worship team to come forward. Romans 12, verse 2, says this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. So if you don't have a different mindset, God can't take you to where he has destined you to go. If you don't expand, if you don't grow, if your capabilities, I said this yesterday in the Spanish service, I'll say it again today. If you're saying I want to grow in faith, and you're not picking up a book, then I question your desire to grow. If you want to grow in being a believer and you're not picking up a book and trying to study and trying to dig deep and trying to learn more, then I question it. I'm not talking about attendance in a church service. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm not talking about life groups. Those are great ways to get involved. But I'm saying your personal growth, 
You picking up the Bible? And if you're not picking up the Bible, are you picking up a devotional? Maybe you say the Bible's too complex for me. Are you picking up a devotional that's going to help kind of guide you through the Bible? Are you picking up a book? Go to Amazon. It's not that hard. Amazon Prime. Two days, it'll be at your doorstep. Read something small, 20 pages. Begin somewhere. Begin somewhere. And it's the same with everything in life. I can't expect to grow in a profession, in a career, and to get higher if I am not continuing my education. If I'm not reading, if I'm not studying the manual, if I'm not understanding what my boss wants me to do. If you want to grow in anything in life, read. Read. Knowledge is power. And you renew your mind through reading scripture, through hearing messages. So you say, Pastor Tom, what about the blind person? What about the deaf person? There are ways for them to grow as well. There are resources that we have for them to be able to grow as well. And oftentimes we put up these excuses and we say, well, what about them? And we don't say, well, what about us? The question here this morning is you. What are you doing to grow in your capacity? See, God just doesn't want you to be obedient. He doesn't want a few religious rituals added to your life. He wants all of you. God wants your heart, your soul. God wants your mind. God wants your strength. You see, true faith is obedience and worship-driven by a heart of love. True faith comes from the inside out. I'm going to invite you to rise this morning. I want to pray this morning that the Holy Spirit of God would touch your heart. Maybe you're like me. Now, I can say this because I was a messed up religious nut. I was messed up. I had a lot of rules. A lot of ideas of what church should look like, needed to look like, and if church didn't look like that or if someone didn't look like what I thought they should look like, then they were messed up. I'm going I'm to I'm confess something to you, Natalie. Right? When I stopped being a youth pastor in a Spanish church, I walk up into Calvary Temple, and Joe is wearing shorts. I just about freaked out. I said, they let people do that in church here? So why didn't the pastor say something? I, like, my mentality was totally screwed up. I was uneducated. I was dumb. And, and I, they let me, they fed me anything they wanted to feed me. And like cyanide, I just consumed it. And then I spit out the garbage to everyone. Here's the thought. You, you don't live from the outside in. You live from the inside out. I know that one of the most powerful preachers of our time, God uses in an incredible way. You would never think that he is a preacher just by looking at him from the outside. He's got dreadlocks, earrings, and tattoos. Oh, my word. But he is, he is one of the most incredible gifted speakers And this guy will pray for people and they'll be healed. 
he'll go into a corn concert right before they're about and he'll go out with the Christian the Christian leaders of corn and he will pray over people and he'll literally go up to people as they're walking through listen to this there's a story of this preacher he's literally walking through the lion's gate in Israel and he is praying over the Israeli soldiers and he says I want to pray for you the Lord is telling me you got a back pain and he literally comes and he prays for that person's back pain and he said I want you to know that Yeshua did this. Yeshua is the Hebrew for Jesus. So that they could understand that the guy was a Christian. And the guy, the guy said, yeah, my back is feeling better. Guess what? About two weeks later, there was a terrorist attack at the Lion's Gate in Israel. That one soldier that was preached the gospel that day died. Appearances are not everything. Look him up. He's one of the most powerful preachers, prophets, He has a ministry called Lifestyle Christianity.